We had a great weekend. It was just a good, relaxing weekend, and I hope you did too. Today's going to be a great day. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online at summittogether.com. Thanks for worshiping with us today. I hope you have an incredible day as well, wherever you're at. And I know some of you are, are part of our church family. They're on vacation or out of town today, so I hope you have a safe trip. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll see you soon. Uh, but we are continuing our series in Philippians today. Uh, last week, Pastor Kyle Hammond is the pastor of uh, Adventure Church in Columbus, Ohio. Did an incredible job. I was so thankful for the word he brought. And if you missed it, you can go back and listen to those on our website. And you can get the CD or DVD from the bookstore if you'd like. Uh, but I would encourage you, this series very much is, is week to week. They all go together. So if you miss a week or two, please go back and listen or watch and get caught up. And I want to challenge you to do this too. Philippians is only four book, uh, chapters long. It's a simple, short book. And I would love for you to be reading with us throughout. Now, don't just read what I read on Sunday, but I would love for you to read all of Philippians chapter 2 this week, maybe a couple times through. If you don't read the Scripture very often, there's no condemnation. But pick up your Bible and read through Philippians chapter 2 a couple of times this week. That way, when we get to next week, it's going to be like you already studied for the test, okay? Um, you're going to be like, I already know what he's talking about because I've been reading this. Uh, if you are accustomed to reading Scripture and you read the Bible quite a bit, then I want to encourage you, read through Philippians chapter, and this isn't just me saying this stuff, this is the word of it. Um, the book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi from the Apostle Paul, probably written from uh, prison in Rome. Uh, and so he was in these letters to these different churches to encourage them to become good. God's got something more for you than you're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 2. Let me start in verse 1. And this is what Paul says. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love, being in full accord in, in, of one mind. And this is what he said. Now, sometimes if you read this first part, it looks like he's almost goading them on a little bit. Like, I'm not sure. Is there any, uh, is there any encouragement in Christ? Is there any comfort of love? But we see that, that what he's doing is he's actually causing them, he knows that all these things are present in this church because he has a strong relationship with the church of Philippi. So what he's doing is just asking them to kind of question themselves a little bit. And so they can stop and, and reflect and go, okay, wait a second. Um, I know that there's encouragement in Christ. I know that there's comfort from the love of the people I have around me and the participation in spirit. And they know these things are present. So it's causing them to question a little bit. Have you ever had a child that, that they did something they weren't supposed to do and you go, don't you know you shouldn't be doing that? Yes, they do know they shouldn't be doing that. But you're questioning them to help remind them, right? And this is what Paul's doing. He's saying, I, I just want to remind you that all these things are present in the body there. And he says in verse 2, complete my joy. And the word complete there. Um, it's used synonymously um, with other words like um, uh, like perfect, and we see that in Ephesians chapter. I mean, I'm sorry, in Philippians chapter three, we'll see that in a few weeks. Uh, but he talks about being perfected, or talks about being whole, or talks about being mature, and and these words all basically mean the same thing, that he's bringing to completion or bringing to perfection. So what he's saying is, uh, you have the ability to to perfect my joy, to make my joy totally perfect. And this is the way you do that, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. How many of you know that is a lot easier said than done? Um, it's, it's, it's easy to say, hey, let's all get along. Even in a family, you're going on family vacation. Isn't it easy to say, can we not fight for two hours on this trip, right? We, we rented a van and took the staff 
a few weeks ago down to a baseball game uh, in Pittsburgh, just staff day, hey, let's go build some relationships, just get to know each other, let's, you know, build camaraderie. And we were on the way down there, we had just left, and one of the staff members said, are we there yet? I will turn this van around right now! Don't make me turn the van around, right? Like, you have these cliches that you say, because whether you realize it or not, it's hard to get along even in your family, even for a couple hours on a van ride or a bus ride or, a, you know, you're going to, to grandma's house. It's tough to get along in a group of four people, let alone in a church the size of ours. It's hard for everybody to be on the same page and be in unity. So when Paul says to be unified, being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and have one mind, that's hard. That's really difficult to do. But we see over and over and over in Scripture how important it is. You know, if you look historically at the church, one of the most powerful times at any any segment of time in the church's history is in the book of Acts. If you look at what God did in the book of Acts, it's incredible. The church came, was birthed, and was born in the book of Acts. And it's because these people were flowing in, the, in what God was outpouring on the gifts of the Spirit, and they were speaking in tongues and healings and all kinds of crazy things were happening. Why did that happen? Well, I think, number one, because God wanted his message to go out throughout the whole world. He wanted everyone to know. He wanted to get the word out as much as possible. But I think it happened because there were a group of people that said, you know what, we want God to move so badly, I don't care what color the carpet is. I want God to move so badly, I don't care if they sing the song I like. I want God to move so badly, fill in the blank. They said, I'm going to set aside my preferences for what God wants to do, and then let's see what God does. And people came together. If you look through the book of Acts, over and over and over through the first half of the book of Acts, it says, uh, with one accord, over and over and over. Why? Because God was highlighting the unity that this body was in. That they said, we're together on this. We want what God wants more than what we want. Because we all have wants. Every one of us have an agenda. Every one of us think, well, this church would be better if we just did that or if we just did this. I do. You do. My wife does. You know, my wife and I, we love each other, but I don't think she totally agrees with me on everything I do. Does that shock you? Probably not. Why? Because we both have our own opinions. We all believe things should be a certain way. But at the end of the day, if we really want to see God move like he did in the Bible, we have to say, God, I'm going to lay down what I want, and I want to focus and pursue what you want for us. We're going to be in one accord. That doesn't mean we all have to agree. That doesn't mean we have to drink the the Kool-Aid and get brainwashed and, you know, whatever Pastor Mel says we have to do. But this is what we have to do. We have to say, you know what? Uh, We're going to agree to disagree here. And we have a board, and they're great guys, and I love our board. And we don't agree on everything. We go to a room and we talk, and there's things that that we do not agree on. But when we walk out of that room, we know that our number one focus is that God is going to be glorified in this place, that lost people are going to come to know Jesus. And how we get there, we might not agree on, but the fact is we are going to get there. And that's what our focus is. We can set aside our differences to make sure we are focusing on what is really important, and that's what brings unity in the body. When you look at this, um, it, it says... Being in full accord and of one mind, if you look at the message version, it said that they became deep-spirited friends. Now, that is so much more than us just coming to church and being able to recognize a few people and going, oh, yeah, I've seen them before. That means that they were invested in each other, that it made it easy for them to be unified because they were invested in each other. They were deep-spirited friends. And, And all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, 
We want, we desire, we long to have friendships that are deep-spirited. We want people to know us, and we want people to, that we can know. It, there's a longing deep within us, and, and what this is saying is when we come into those kind of relationships, there is unity in the body. It doesn't happen on accident. We have to be intentional about it. He says being in full accord and of one mind. You didn't know there were Hondas in the New Testament, did you? They were all in one accord. It says it right there. Uh, verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition. That was a horrible joke. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that to you. I'm better than that. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. Verse 3 says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but to the interests of others. Um, have you ever met somebody that they could not stop talking about themselves? Like, they just couldn't stop talking about themselves. Uh, and I've, I've said this before from the stage. I've got to be careful because uh, our services are online. Anybody can watch these things. But um, I love it because the, the, the guy my wife dated right before she dated me, he loved to talk about himself a lot. And he... Um, <laughs> I, I should really be careful, but I'm going to go ahead and tell the story because it's, it's funny. Um, <laughs> he, would, he would talk about how good an athlete he was, and he was a starting quarterback at my high school, but we weren't a very good high school football team. I mean, we were bad. I think we won like six games the entire time I was in high school. We were a bad football team. And then he went on, and he played sporadically at a small, small school, and then he went to the NFL scouting combine. Now, he didn't get invited to the combine. He went to the combine, but he liked to tell people, oh, yeah, scouting combine. I went, and he'd wear the shirt, and he'd, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I went to the scouting combine. Oh, you read my shirt? Yeah, yeah, I went to the scouting combine. My father-in-law hated him. <laughs> Couldn't stand the guy. And we went to church together. I, I've known him a long time, and he and I didn't always get along great, but um, anyway... After Kim and this guy broke up, I started dating her. I already knew her dad a little bit, but do you know what I knew? I knew if I want to build a relationship with this guy, I cannot talk about myself this whole time. I got to ask him about him. Oh, tell me more about computers, Ronnie. I want to tell me, how do you do that? How do you route that? And to be perfectly honest with you, I had some conversations with my father-in-law that I had because I knew he wanted to have them. I really didn't care how the circuits worked or how the certain things. I didn't care, but I wanted to date his daughter, right? <laughs> so what did I do? I said, I'm going to set aside what I'm interested in in some ways. I was interested in his daughter, so I was interested in what he was interested in, so I could be interested in what I was interested in, really, if we want to be honest about it. But I said, I'm going to be more focused on your interests than my interests. And because of that, it opened up the door of relationship. It opened up the door for us to be able to know each other. That guy loves me. He's even told me he loves me. If you know my father-in-law, he does not do that very easily. But he has told me he loves me. Why? Because I said, you know what? I'm going to be more interested in what you're interested in than what I am in mine. Um, we were on staff at a church in Enid, Oklahoma, and there's an Air Force base in Enid. And I learned a lot about uh, training uh, planes and, and the, the 
rigors that pilots would go through and things like that because I wanted to build a relationship with those guys. So, man, we would talk about the planes. We'd talk about, the, oh, where are you at in your training? And I got familiar with the language. I got familiar with the lifestyle because I wanted to build an inroad into that world. I wanted to build an inroad to these guys and their relationship and build a relationship there. So what did I have to do? I had to say, I'm not just interested in what I'm interested in. I'm going to be focused on what you're interested in as well. You know what? I love baseball. I've said that before. My father-in-law is not a big sports fan, but he will talk to me about baseball now. I've been married to his daughter for almost 15 years, but we talk about baseball sometimes. Why? Because I've shown interest in what he's interested in. Now he's showing interest in what I'm interested in. Does that make sense? And this is what Paul is saying. Don't be so focused on yourself all the time that you can't build relationship. Because when we're self-centered, and we are self-focused, we can't build healthy relationships around us. You want to know why it's hard for you to reach people in your neighborhood, in your community? Maybe it's because you're just focused on yourself. I've had people at churches I've been at before said, Mel, it's hard to build a relationship with my neighbors. I just, you know, it doesn't seem to be the time. And I said, well, the reason is, is because you open up the garage door, it comes up, you pull in, you close the garage door behind you before you ever get out of the car, you walk into your house, and, you know, you, you never take the time. You never say, hey, I'm going to be more interested in what you're interested in at this point. And we have to do that if we're going to build relationships. If we're going to build unity in the body, that's what is required. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's hard because, um, you know, Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 4, he talks about how the body is diverse. How, and he goes into more depth. But he basically said, as a body, we all have different functions. We all do different things, don't we? Aren't you glad? Some of you are glad you're not the pastor. You don't have to get up here and preach every week. Some of you are like, if I was the pastor, it would be, oh, we'd blow this place up, right? But some of you are glad that you don't have to get up here and preach every week. Some of you think, how in the world do those people stand at the front door and shake everybody's hand that comes in? You're a germaphobe. You're like, ooh, I couldn't do it, right? You want to bump elbows or whatever. Um, some of you think, how do those people get up there and sing? Because what are you doing? You're looking at the different roles, the different functions. You're going, I could never do that. But what we also have a tendency to do is elevate our function and say, my function is one of the most important. See, in the body, the eye thinks the whole body is dependent on me because if they didn't see, how would this body work, right? But the hand thinks, man, if, if it wasn't for me, how could I pick anything up? How could I hold something? How could I? And if you're a foot, well, I'm sorry, nobody wants to be a foot, but don't you think the foot thinks, man, if it wasn't for me, how would we get around? And it's easy for us to elevate our own function in the church and in this body and say our function is the most important or our function is the best. But the truth is all of us have to look at ourselves and look at the community and say we function as one body. I've told our staff before, I don't want a staff member at this church that feels like their department is not the most important. Now, understand what I'm saying. If Matt Mano comes to me as the kids pastor and says, Mel, I love kids ministry, but you know what's really important? The most important thing in this church is music ministry. I go, well, hold up one second. Because what he's telling me is, I, I love what I do, but, but that's not really the most important thing. And this is, he's telling me about his passions. Does that make sense? I want him to say, man, Mel, I'm, I would fight for kids' ministry. It's the most important thing we can possibly do. But I understand its role in the body. So that can't be the only thing we do. But it's important and I'm passionate about it. Does that make sense? He has to understand its role in the ministry, but I want him to be super passionate about it. And that's what we have to do when it comes to our giftings in the body of the church. We have to be able to say, I'm passionate about what God has called me to do. I'm passionate about what he has gifted me to do. But I also understand the function in the body. That we can't all be an eyeball, because if we're all an eyeball, we're in trouble. We'll be freaky looking, right? It's like, like Monsters, Inc. on the stage. We can't do that. We have to function as a healthy body and understand our different roles and our different functions and be okay with that. 
In James chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And that passion, the word passion there comes from the Greek word hedonism or hedone, and it, that's where we get the word hedonism. That means totally selfish, totally self-centered. And, and literally the word means self-centered desires. So what Paul, what, I mean, what James is saying is that our self-centered desires are at war with us, that we want what we want, but we know we can't always have that, so that we're at war with ourselves. And that causes conflict among us. Let me finish the passage and I'll, I'll finish it up. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Again, that word, it means self-centered desires. I could get into the whole sermon here. I won't stay here very long, but some of us have been praying for financial breakthrough in your life, right? You've been saying, God, I need your help financially. And this is something probably a lot of people in this room have prayed for. Can I help you out with something? This is something that it, it, if you are being disobedient in your giving and you're not tithing, God cannot bless you because he has already said, if you give, bring your tithe into the storehouse and I'm going to pour out a blessing upon you. That's what he has said. So when we don't give, we can't walk in blessing. So when we pray for God to bless us financially, he's saying, I can't do it because this is what money does in our lives. Some of us think money will change us. Money doesn't change us. Uh, money only accentuates what we already are. It, it, it brings out what we already are. So if we're selfless and we're giving, when we have $10 in our pocket, we're going to be selfless in giving when we got $1,000 in our pocket. If I am a miser and I'm greedy and I'm selfish when I got $10 in my pocket, when I got $1,000 in my pocket, I'm still going to be a selfish miser and greedy. Does that make sense? And so some of us are praying and we're saying, God, I need you to bless me financially. And he said, I can't bless you financially because you're, you're just going to be foolish with it anyway. You're going to spend it on your own selfish ambitions. You're just going to do crazy stuff with it. So I'm not going to bless. I'm going to save you from that heartache by not blessing. And you're like, well, no, this is the worst sermon I've ever heard in my life. I thought it was going to be funny. That stinks. This is the word of God. This is, I'm, not, I'm just telling you what the word of God says. But what is James saying in James chapter 4? He's talking about our self-centered ambitions, our self-centered desires. And he's saying we have to get away from that. If we want unity in this body, if we want to do incredible things as a church, then we have to be unified. And it doesn't mean turning off your brain. It just means saying, God, I want what you want more than what I want. Because I've said this before, the root of all relational conflict is that someone is not getting what they want. Whether you are a four-year-old child in the nursery and you're fighting with another child over blocks, what are, what's going on? Well, they're not getting what they want. Or whether you are um, the, the, the Arab and the uh, Israelite nations fighting against, what are, what are they fighting for? Well, they're not getting what they want. There's one side that wants something, the other side wants something else, and they're in conflict. In your marriage, you come home. You come home to eat. My wife's a fantastic cook. She does a great job. There's one meal that I don't like. She knows what it is. I'm not crazy about chicken and rice. I come home. Hey, babe, how you doing? I'm good. How's your day? Good. What are we doing for dinner? I'm um, fixing chicken and rice. All right. I guess I'll have a sandwich. What? Is there a conflict? No, we're not fighting. There's no issues. There's no problems. But what happens? As simple as that thing is. I don't like chicken and rice. I just don't like it. I can't explain it. I like chicken. I like rice. I don't like chicken and rice. <laughs> but she loves it. It's one of her favorite dishes. 
She wants what she wants. I want what I want. What happens? I eat a sandwich. <laughs> At the source of every one of your conflicts in your life, every single one of them, it's this, that you want something and the person you're in conflict with wants something. And what you have to ask yourself is, um, what does God want? And this sounds like a, a pastor cop-out, that something pastors say, well, just do what God wants. And I know what God wants because I'm the pastor, right? It sounds like that's the way, but that's not what I'm saying at all. Um, when you're in conflict with someone, you might be totally right. You might be 100% on the right side of the argument. But God wants you to be reconciled in relationships. So you could be right in the argument and still wrong in the relationship. Does that make sense? So what is God asking us to do? He's asking us to humble ourselves and say, you know what? I know I'm right on this, and you don't have to say it this way. In your spirit, you can say, I know I'm right, but I'm going to lay myself down because that is what God is calling me to do. It doesn't feel like the right thing because I want to win, and I want to win the fight. I want to win the argument. I want people to know that I'm right. I want to be vindicated. That's our flesh talking. What Jesus wants is for us to be in right relationship with people, not just to be right. Let me read Philippians chapter 2. We'll get back to Philippians now. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Have this mind among yourselves. And so what, what he's saying here is what I, we just talked about in Philippians chapter 2 on up in verse 4. And where he's talking about unity, when he's talking about getting along with each other, when he's talking about being in full accord. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So he's saying, have this mind among yourselves. He's saying this that I just described. Have this mind in yourselves. And you go, Mel, how in the world can we do that? That's supernatural. That's superhuman. No one can act that way. No one can think that way and live that way. But this is what he says. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. It is yours. This is your mind. What we just talked about, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 4. That is your mind in Christ Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is your mind. All you have to do is say, I'm going to think that way. I'm going to begin believing that way. I'm going to begin living that way. It's not impossible. It is yours. If I, if I told you today, hey, um, you know what? I'm going to give away a brand new um, 2015 Corvette. It, right? There'd be people that would be, yes, I'll sit on the front row for that. Like the books, you know, when I give away the books to the people in the front row, you're like, I'll sit on the front row for 2015 Corvette. There would be people lined up for that car, wouldn't they? But what if I said I've got one for all of you? Everybody, every, it's like the Oprah show. It's like, new car for you and you and new car. You know, that whole thing. Like, it would be like that. everybody gets a car and people are jumping up and down and hugging each other and like, oh, my gosh. And like the women are even worse, you know. Like, it would be crazy. But then what if you had that one person that goes, I'm good. I got a Datsun out there. It's got 250,000 miles. It's running just fine. I'm good. I'm all right. Right? Well, it's a Datsun. <laughs> That's old school. I got an old Nissan. Is that better? Okay. I'm good. I don't need the, I don't need the Corvette. I go, but it's yours. Nah, I'm good. I don't need it. But seriously, you can have this car. Nah, I'll just drive this car. And every day you drive to work, I hate this car. I wish I didn't have this car. This Datsun barely getting along. But you've got a brand new Corvette. And this is the way we live our lives sometimes. We say, God, I wish I didn't act this way. I wish I didn't think this way. But man, this, if my boss would just be nicer to me. If my wife would just start acting like this, then we'd get along. If my kids, right? And what we're doing is we're saying, I know I've got this new mind, but I don't want it. I'll take the one I've got. It's broken down. It's barely getting along, but I'm just fine. You are sacrificing God's best so you can have the mindset of a Datsun. 
God doesn't want that for you. He wants you to have the mind of Christ. Let me get back to this. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Now, let me explain this. Uh, the word form there, it, it means uh, having all the same qualities. So it's not that he was a version of God. It, what this is saying is that before Jesus was incarnate on planet Earth, he was still present with God. He was God. He is God. So he, what this passage is saying, he is the form of God. You know, it's not like some knockoff version. Some, well, it's a form of God. What he's saying is he had every quality and characteristic of God. So understand that as we read this verse. He, Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And I, I've talked about this a little before, but the supreme God of become man, and it would have been humbling enough for him if he would have said, I'm going to come as the wisest, the richest, the best looking man that ever lived. I'm gonna have more money, more wealth, more fame. I'm gonna have more stuff. I'm gonna speak every language. I'm gonna have the best voice that anybody ever heard. I'm gonna sing every song. They're gonna have an all God channel all the time and all it is is me singing songs, right? Like he could have been perfect in every way, shape and form and it still would have been humbling for him to come to earth and take on the form of man. But he did it. And he didn't just come to earth and take on the form of man. He came to earth and took on the form of a baby in Bethlehem, in a manger, God humbled himself as far as he possibly could. He didn't take on the role of a king, but of a servant. Let me keep reading this passage. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. The message version says that he came as a servant. He came to serve, not to rule, but to serve. And because he serves, we give him authority to rule. Does that make sense? This is what happens. When we put the needs of others above our own needs, it opens up doors. Jesus came and he served us. He laid himself down. He died the most horrible, shameful death that anyone could imagine. Naked on a cross for everyone to see. And he did it willingly because that's what he had to do. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I'm going to ask the worship team to go ahead and come back up. We'll close this out. You know, I don't know what is going on in your life, in your families, in your relationships. Um, but I've told the staff before, in just about every one of my messages you'll ever hear, I, I will probably mention something about your possessions, and I'll probably something, mention something about your relationships, because this is where a lot of people live. A lot of us have issues with our stuff. We're in debt, um, we're living paycheck to paycheck, um, we're consumed with acquiring more stuff, or we're in relational conflict. We have relationships that might be a mess, that maybe they're not where they need to be. Almost every one of us, you fall into one or both of those categories. Um, and it's easy to do, and there's no condemnation for that. That's just where we're at. But you know what 
kind of similar to that is Jesus talked a lot about your possessions, about relational conflict. So the truth is there's probably a big percentage of us that are sitting in this room that you have people in your life that you're not in a healthy relationship with. And the key to a healthy church is the same key to a healthy family and healthy relationships. It's humility, saying, you know what? I want what you want more than what I want. And more than what either one of us want is what God wants. You know what God wants for your life? God wants you to have restored relationships, reconciled relationships. He wants things to be right with you and the people around you. And the key to that is humility. Um, When you look at this last passage, it says, therefore God has highly exalted him exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess him as confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And this verse seems like it might be out of place in some ways, but when we understand who Jesus Christ is, when we understand the price he paid, when we understand how he humbled himself for us, it makes it that much easier for us to humble ourselves to others. It makes it that much easier to say, okay, God, I see who you are. And I see how you've humbled yourself. And I see how you laid yourself down. And I am not you. And I need you to work in my life. I need to have that relationship. I need to have restored relationships. I need humility to work in my life. The key to humility is seeing God, who he, how he really is. And when that happens, we are naturally humbled. Every time the angel of the Lord, every time God showed up on the scene, what did they say? Fear not. Why? Because it is shocking when we come face to face with God. It shakes us up, but it also puts God in the right perspective for us. I think that's what God wants to do. Because see, he says, there is going to be a day, someday, that every person on planet earth that's alive, every person that's ever lived on planet earth, they're going to come to that realization of who God is. They're going to come to this face-to-face moment where they go, I did not realize this is who God really was. And they're gonna be compelled to bow down and begin to worship him. They're gonna be compelled to fall at their knees and cry that he is Lord. Not because God's gonna coerce them or twist their arm or make them, but because that realization is so real in their lives, they're gonna say, you are God and I am not. The biggest atheist, the biggest disbeliever, no matter who it is, they're gonna fall at their knees and say, you are Lord. Now, this is the thing. We all have an opportunity to do that. We're all going to do that someday, whether we want to or not. But I choose to do that today. I choose to say, God, I'm not going to wait till someday to realize who you are. I'm not going to wait till someday to worship you for who you really are. I'm going to bow my knee and I'm going to de- de- declare you as Lord today. I'm going to de- declare that, that my family is whole today. I'm going to f- declare that things are right today, that my relationships are going to be healthy today. I'm going to humble myself. I'm not going to wait someday to be humbled by you. I'm going to humble myself today so that I can have right relationships with the people around me, so we can be unified in one accord, so that we can do something great for God, not just this church, but your family. That's what God wants. But I'm asking you today, will you do that? Will you allow yourself to be humbled? Will you humble yourself so that God can use you, so God can use us, and God can do something great? Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing. I just pray your blessing on this place, Lord. I pray for every person that's here that might be struggling. Lord, if they're struggling in relationships, Lord, they're struggling in, Lord, conflict with someone else, God, I pray that you'd help us to get to the root of it. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Lord, help them to, to see you for who you really are and let it humble us, God. 
Lord, I pray for right relationships in this place, God. I pray that this house will be a house that's unified. Lord, I pray for families to be unified. Lord, I pray for homes to be unified. Lord, I pray for family members to come back together because somebody sitting in this room is going to humble themselves and say, you know what, it's not about being right, it's about being in right relationship. Lord, have your way with us over the next few minutes. Be glorified in this place. Know your head bowed and your eyes closed. I just want to ask, you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm really not a re- in a relationship with God. You know, right relationship begins with him and that's not me, but I need to get right with him and I'm, I want to start today. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up and say, that's me, pray for me. I need to get some things right with the Lord. I need to be in right relationship with him. Thank you so much, man. Let's see you. Thank you, sir. Am I right over here? Awesome. Who else? Anyone else? Real quickly, slip your hand up and say, that's me, Mel, pray for me. Okay. Maybe you're here today and you say, Mel, I'm not in the right relationship with some of the people around me. And maybe it's not your fault. Maybe you are totally right, but you know you're not in the right relationship. And today you say, I need to humble myself to make some things right with the people around me. It's not about who's right or wrong. It's about you being in right relationship. And that's you. You say, I want to make some things right today. Pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up and let me pray for you? Thank you. Yeah, quite a few hands. Thank you so much all over the room. You can put your hands down. Thank you. <clears throat> let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for the people in this place. Lord, you see the people that raise their hand and say they need to be in right relationship with you. I just pray you would minister in them. God, I pray that you would woo them and draw them. Let them begin or restart a relationship with you today. Lord, I thank you that they've humbled themselves and said, I need to get some things right. Lord, I pray that Lord, they would take that next step and just continue to pursue you. Lord, I pray that you just surround them with godly people that will speak life and encouragement into them. And I pray your blessing on them, God. Touch them. Lord, you see those that raised their hand and said that they need to humble themselves to be in right relationship with some of the people around them. I pray right now your Holy Spirit would just minister in them. Lord, soften their hearts. Let them do what they need to do to bring right relationship in their lives. God, I pray for restoration in families and workplaces, Lord, and in communities. God, I pray that you'd restore relationships because the people sitting in this room are going to humble themselves. God, I pray that this church would be a place that's united, Lord, not under what I want or what anybody else wants, but under what you want. God, let us be united under reaching lost people and growing them and developing them. Lord, let us have that vision and that passion, Lord. Let us have that heart. God, I thank you for what you're doing in this place. I pray your blessing on it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Now listen, this is what I'd like to do. I want everybody in the room to stand. We're going to go do one more song of worship today. But as we do, I don't want you to wait till you have to to worship God. I want us to pursue God and chase after God. We're only going to take a few minutes. We're going to sing a last song. And then we'll be dismissed after that. But I want you to go after God and say, God, I'm not going to wait till someday to declare you as Lord. I'm going to declare you as Lord today. I'm going to worship you as Lord today because you are worthy. I want you to do that. And if you need prayer for any reason, if you raised your hand and would like somebody to pray with you, maybe you're here today and you just say, man, Mel, I've been struggling with this or I've got this physically going on, I need a healing. Whatever your prayer need is, I want you to come down and find one of our prayer team members. We're gonna be on either side of the stage. We just wanna agree with you in prayer. And if you're here today and you have a prayer need, you can write it on that prayer card that's in that seat back in front of you. If you responded today, and to either one of those and you raised your hand and said, I need prayer, I want you to fill that card out and let us know how we can pray with you. Uh, if you respond and said, I need to get some things right with God, fill that card out. There's no condemnation or shame. We just want to connect with you and help you take the next step. So let's worship together. Let's go after God and let's, uh, let's 
Let God do a work in us as we close up the service today.